0: Chapter 4, First Peter 4, we're going to do verses 7 through 11 tonight, which, if you remember correctly, we've kind of taken a unique approach here through First Peter 4, so even though we're going to finish in verse 11 tonight, we will actually be finishing up the chapter, First Peter chapter 4, and just an FYI, the clock is not working in the back, so according to me it's 2.29, so I have uh, five and a half hours, so just so you know, I did bring my phone in, it's on silent, so no one call me or text me to be silly. And I'm telling you right now, no one call me or text me to be silly. So I will check my phone periodically to try to get you out of here before 10 o'clock. So I will be looking. So if you think I'm looking at my phone, it's not that I'm not even not paying attention to myself like you guys do. I am really trying to keep an eye on the time. First Peter chapter 4. All righty, let's go ahead and pick it up here in verse 7. Now, what we've been talking about in this passage here, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, is suffering. And we've been talking about how in your life you will suffer. You will suffer at work. You will suffer at home. You will suffer with kids. You will suffer in marriage. You will suffer at church. You will suffer physically. You will suffer emotionally. You will suffer spiritually. This world is full of sadness and suffering, and the only thing that gets you through is Jesus Christ. And we've been talking about how he suffered, and then we suffer with him and through him. But it actually grows us as a believer. And in this world, there is trial and tribulation. So what happens here is Peter is finishing up that point about the idea that you will face difficulties in this world. We get to verse 7 of 1 Peter 4. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, jump ahead to verse 17. Let's put that with it. It says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? There is a seriousness in what we're doing here when it comes to following Christ. As it says in verse 7, we're supposed to be serious and watchful. Really interesting words there. Some of your translations say sober. Some of your translations say earnest and disciplined or clear-minded and self-controlled. We're supposed to be focused on the Lord and the Lord alone. Just be honest with yourself. How many of you today has got yourself caught up in a situation in this world or life that has nothing to do with eternity and heaven and hell, but yet it really brought you down? See, we're supposed to be clear-minded and sober and serious and focused on who the Lord is, and that is what gets us through these difficult times in life. This word for serious or sober there in verse 7 is a really interesting word. It's used 10 times here throughout the New Testament. And what it always talks about is there's a seriousness to what we're doing for Christ. If you look there at your sheets, there's a little quote we put there. There is seriousness to what we are doing for Christ as we are impacting future generations. There is a joy in serving God. There is a joy in worship and VBS. There is a joy in teaching tonight. There is a joy in fellowship. I love hearing you guys laugh and enjoying being around each other. But there also is a seriousness of, hey, we have unsaved friends and loved ones that may be dying and going to hell. So we could sit here and have ice cream and we could have cake and we could have fun and all that other type of stuff. But people are also dying and going to hell. There is a balance there of the fellowship and joy of believers, but also the seriousness of, hey, I am concerned about my loved ones, my neighbors, my coworkers, and where they're standing with Christ. And with that being said, there's also seriousness to where do I stand with Christ. Look at verse 17 one more time. This is a tough verse. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What Peter is writing here is saying, hey, take a look at yourself first. How are you doing spiritually? Are you focused on the Lord? Are you growing? Are you going deeper? Because it starts with us first. And then as it starts with us, it then impacts other people. So we understand verse 17. And to be quite honest with you, verse 17, as a church, and I mean as a church of the whole in the world, we don't spend a lot of time on verse 17. We'll talk about judgment beginning at the house of unbelievers. We'll talk about judgment beginning at the house of heathens and pagans and sinners. But what Peter is saying here is, hey, Look at yourself first. It's so quick and easy for us to point out all the flaws and all the problems and everybody else that we live with or know or work with. What about ourselves? Is God done with us? Of course not. He's still working with us. So the first point here is what is our attitude? Our attitude is supposed to be serious. It's supposed to be sober, clear-minded, focused on the Lord, and then that impacts how we live the rest of our life. And if you look here in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, there's four things at how it's supposed to impact us. And let's break these down. The first one, verse 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Since we're supposed to be focused on our walk with the Lord, there's four things we're supposed to focus on. The first one, verse 8, is love. Turn if you will with me to 1 John chapter 4. I wanted to find a good passage on love. And if you go look up how many times the word love is mentioned in the Bible, it's overwhelming on how many times the word love is mentioned. It's tough to find the key passage on love. So I go to 1 John 4. This is my favorite passage on love. Why does God always stress to us about love? The reason being is he knows how difficult it is to love the unlovable people. Jesus set the example. He hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I'm betting right now some of you work with somebody who is unlovable. Some of you live with somebody who is unlovable. Some of you may be married to someone who is unlovable. Some of you may birth children that are unlovable. The point is Jesus says we're supposed to love everybody, unconditional love towards everybody. So often we base our love on people, on how they treat us. Well, since you're nice to me, I love you. That goes against everything in Christianity. Christianity is, I love you no matter how you treat me. Aren't you thankful that Jesus lived his life that way? That he would die for the sins of the world while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Look here. 1 John 4. Let's talk about love. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's a pretty straightforward verse. Verse 8, if you do not have a loving heart and attitude towards people, verse 8, John is saying you have to ask yourself, do you even know God? Because the side effect of knowing God personally is you will love people the way He loves people. Verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might love through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or appeasement for our sins. Verse 11 sums it up. Beloved, have God so loved us, we ought to love one another. I'm telling you right now, I don't care who you have in your mind that is the most unlovable, unlikable person in the world. Jesus Christ still died for them. Jesus still has unconditional love for them. Now, he may not be happy with how they're living their life. They may not be happy with the choices they're making and the sin they're living in. He still loves them. But it's amazing for us, one of the first things that goes out the window for us as Christians is love. I've met people that I firmly believe know Christ and are born again. But my goodness, if you don't treat them right, they will not treat you right. And it's almost this world mentality of you hit me, I hit you back. You say something about me, I say something about you back. Unconditional love. Verse 8 of 1 Peter 4, the first thing that he tells us to be serious about is unconditional love towards all. Now, any quick questions, comments about that? Done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a changed heart, and so since the heart is changed, I want to be obedient to what the Lord says. I'm not required to. I just want to. I just want to. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, there's some, there's some truth to that. Yeah, because what happens is we have the judgment seat of Christ... And then after the judgment seat of Christ is the the great right throne judgment. And, you know, really what verse 17 is also saying there, it's almost that self-reflection. You know, Paul came out and said in 1 Corinthians 9 about how we're supposed to discipline ourselves and then we won't be judged. That idea of I'm walking in Christ and if I'm watching out for myself and keeping myself walking in the Lord through his spirit – I saved myself from a lot of trouble. That's just the truth. Be, be honest with yourselves. When you get yourself in trouble in life, isn't it, generally speaking, because you're not following what the Lord says? I mean, it's really that simple. When you get your eyes off the Lord, you fall into potholes of life. That's what happens. So, all right. Oh, something's got to happen. Megan. No, there's nothing wrong with doing something that God commanded you to. What Megan said there is there's something wrong with doing something that God commanded you to, not because you really want to. Two things I'll say about that. First off, number one, there is a great parable where Jesus said, it is your duty to do that. And there's sometimes spiritually in your walk with Christ, there's going to be things you don't want to do. It is your duty as a believer to be obedient to the Lord. Now, I, we got five boys at home. I want them to obey out of a cheerful heart. I want them to. Sometimes they obey out of fear of discipline. Now, the goal is as a Christian that I want to obey the Lord out of a cheerful heart. Lord, send the most unlovable rude, obnoxious person in the world in my life that I may just show them the love of Jesus. That's the heart God wants. The truth of the matter is he will still send you the most rude, obnoxious, unlovable person in the world and say, love them," because you need to learn how to love them. So to answer your question, Megan, God wants us to love and, com- and obey out of a cheerful heart, but the truth of the matter is sometimes he says you still need to do it to teach yourself a lesson. It's a training process that we're going through. All right. Which? Oh, yeah, Shirley. Mm-hmm. See, now, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Because is there, any, is there ever a time to not like someone? And let me be honest. And let me share this verse that you were kind of talking about right there. There's a great passage in the book of Jude. And it says right here in Jude that you're supposed to save them with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. This is where we get the classic love the sinner, hate the sin. So I can love that person, but I can hate what's been defiled by them. I can hate the choices they're making in life. I can hate the ramifications of their choices. I can hate what they're doing to their spouse and to their kids. I can hate all that, but as a person, I still love them. Now, my personal opinion, and my wife disagrees with me, so you have to take a side here on this, I'm a firm believer in I can love you but not like you. I'm a firm believer in that. I can love you, and I can pray for you, and I will do everything I can for you, and I will show you the love of Jesus, but you're not the type of person I'd want to hang around with for all of eternity. So there is a process of that where I love everybody I run into, but the truth of the matter is there's some people you just don't click with. There's some people that personalities rub you the wrong way. There's some people that you just have a difficult time being around. I still love them. I still love them unconditionally. But they are just not the type of person I would hang around with They're not the type of person I'd want to be with. I believe that. So to answer your question, Shirley, I believe you can love somebody but not like their attitude, their choices, and not like what they're doing with their life. That's my personal opinion. Jesus himself, didn't he love the Pharisees and Sadducees? But he also called them uh, sons of hell. I don't think that's really liking them, but he loved them. You brood of vipers, he called them. He loved them. He died for them on the cross, but he didn't like the way they were living their lives. That's my opinion. Anybody else have anything on love? goes right with our next point here because look at verse 9. Be hospital to one another without grumbling. I'm telling you right now, if I had to pick a sin that we as Christians are the most guilty of, I'm going to tell you right now, it's grumbling and complaining. It really is. We grumble and complain about everything. We have eternity in heaven. We have unlimited resources through the Holy Spirit, but yet as believers we just grumble and complain about everything. And in fact, when I see Christians in the world sometimes together, I sometimes can't tell them apart because they're both grumbling and complaining just like everybody else is. Look at Philippians 2.14. Do all things without complaining. There is no way to whitewash that verse. There's no way to soften that verse. We should not have a grumbling, complaining attitude when it comes to things. Now, once again, does this mean that you're not allowed to like certain things? No. You can dislike it, but you can't allow that dislike to come into your life and you start having the grumbling, complaining attitude. I'm going to be quite honest with you. It's really difficult for me when I'm around believers that constantly have a grumbling, complaining attitude. It's difficult for me because I think, wait a second, you're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. There's supposed to be a joy that gets you through life no matter what you're facing. But we all have things we need to work on. And one of the things that we're supposed to work on here in verse 9 is we're supposed to be hospitable, which means kind. We're supposed to be kind to everybody and doing it without complaint and grumbling. There's not a whole lot that needs to be said on that. I'm sure you guys are already convicted by the Spirit, as I am, as we're reading that. Philippians 2.14, great verse to put up on your fridge and your car. Do all things without complaining. That's something we as Christians need to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. It's very serious. And what David just said there at a good point, he says your attitude shows your gratitude. And if you want to get a chance to kind of um, study that out a little bit more, he brought up a good point there. And a great way to look at it is 1 Corinthians 10. If you got time, go back and read 1 Corinthians 10. Because what happened is part of the reason why the Israelites were wandering in 40 years in the wilderness is they whined and complained about everything. They constantly did. If you go back and read in 1 Corinthians 10, if you go back and read the story in Exodus, they whined and complained about everything. We don't have something to drink. Fine. The rock brings forth water. We don't have food. We give you manna. We don't have meat. We give you quail. Anything they needed, they had, and they still whined and complained. One of the little phrases that we like to say at the urban house is, you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. It's just how simple it is. So you know what? If you wanted the blue popsicle, and the blue popsicle's gone, I got red. Take it or leave it. That's life. Now, does that always work? No, it doesn't always work. (laughs) We have whiny kids too sometimes, and I'm a whiny adult. But I really look at this, do all things without complaining, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is one of the toughest verses to do, because if you go into work tonight, if you go into work tomorrow, it's going to be really easy to complain and grumble. If you go home to your spouse tonight, it's going to be really easy to complain and grumble. Come to church, it's really easy to complain and grumble. There's always something that our attitude wants to be bad at, and God says, come on, you know Jesus. That's what gets you through. Next one, but also we're supposed to be serious about verse 10. Verse 10. Service, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God wants us to be serious about how we serve. It was actually very difficult to find a verse on service because there are so many wonderful verses. So I picked Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Very simply put, what Hebrews 12, 28 is saying is, since Jesus is giving you heaven... The least you could do is serve him on earth. So we mention service out here all the time, and I want to stress this to you. We never want someone to sign up for something just to sign up for it. If you are not called by the Lord, if you did not have a heart to do it, you're going to do more harm than good, and I mean that. We want you to truly, prayerfully consider getting involved with stuff, not because we need manpower. God will always supply the manpower, but because we believe that part of your Christian walk is serving other people. And we believe that part of the way you're going to be blessed in your relationship with Jesus is by serving other people. And I've told you this numerous times. If someone ever comes into my office battling depression or discouragement, one of the first things I say to them is, why don't you go serve? And I always get the response of, why would I serve in a state like this? Because you need to focus on others and not yourself. Serving blesses you while it blesses other people. And I'm not saying it to push. But if you don't have a place where you're serving in the body of Christ, I highly encourage you to pray about it because you will be blessed by it. So, last thing that we're supposed to be serious about, verse eleven, is speaking truth. Verse eleven, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's a funky phrase there in verse eleven. If anyone speaks, let them speak as the oracles of God. Basically, what's saying is when you speak, you're representing God in your words. You're speaking forth for God. I firmly believe in a not judgmental way as Christians, our words, our tongues are supposed to be different than the world. Our language should be different than the world. The way we say things, our tone should be different than the world. Because we are representing the Lord in how we say it and how we speak. We're speaking forth for God. That's a pretty big thing when you stop and you think about it. When, when I call myself a Christian and I give my body over to the Lord as a sacrifice, I'm also giving Him my tongue. That I want everything that comes out of my tongue to be edifying and to be encouraging, to be uplifting. I want that. And the tongue is a powerful, powerful weapon. If we had more time, we could get into that. If you want a further study on that, I encourage you. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. It talks about how much damage you can do with the tongue. And we've all seen it. We've seen it. Maybe you saw it in your parents, maybe you saw it in your spouse, maybe you saw it in co-workers, maybe you saw it in your friends. You probably all know somebody who can destroy a person with their tongue. the damaging weapon, and God says when you speak, you're speaking forth for God. We need to watch what we say and watch what we do when it comes to that. Let's go ahead and finish this up here real quick, because there's two points to remember here at the end. We're talking about gifts, we're talking about service. Let's just remind ourselves, verse 11 you only serve with the ability that God supplies you. This has nothing to do with you. It, did, it does with what God called you to do. I want to make sure that's clear. Because I have sometimes people come up and they say, I'm really good at this. That's great. That may be where the Lord is calling you to serve. It really may be. But that also may not be what the Lord's calling you to serve. God will supply to you the ability you need to serve with whatever he's called you to. And I don't necessarily mean the talent as ability. I also mean the heart and the attitude. He'll give you the attitude to raise your kids. He'll give you the heart and attitude to love your spouse. He'll give you the attitude to be, dare I say, obedient to that boss that doesn't deserve it. He'll give you and supply you the ability you need. And if you think you can do it on your own, you can't. And I've had people come up to me and say, well, I know why God put me here because he knew I was really good at this. No. God supplies you the ability and he puts you where he wants you and he can remove that he can remove you. It's a puzzle piece that he can put everywhere. And who gets the glory? Look at the rest of verse 11 of 1 Peter 4. The reason he puts you there is that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about Him. Yes, you may be really good at what you do, and everybody may come up and pat you on the back for it. God supplied you the ability, and God gets the glory. Those are two vital points. This is what I want to finish with. Can you please turn to 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 12, please. So God wants us to be serious serious about our walk with the lord we are impacting for eternity he wants us to be serious in how we love everybody he wants us to be serious and not complaining he wants to be serious in our service he wants to be serious in our words and how we speak he supplies the ability to do it he gets the glory and let's finish with this first corinthians 12 please let's go ahead and pick it up here in verse 7 we all have been if you are born again and saved here tonight The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and the Holy Spirit has blessed you with a certain gift to be used for God. He has. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit to another gift of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. I want you to focus on the bookends of this passage. Verse 7, The Spirit is given to you to bless other people. Verse 11 he will give it to you individually on what he knows is best for you. I remember when I first got saved, and I remember the pastor teaching. It was Pastor Craiger teaching about gifts and what are your gifts for the body. And I remember reading through this in Ephesians and Romans, and I picked the gifts that I wanted. It doesn't work that way. He gives to you the gift that he wants you to have that will best bless the body. I know people that really want to be in worship. They're not called to be in worship. People that really want to teach. We're not called to teach. People really don't want to serve in the nursery or with kids. They shouldn't be around kids. It's not about what you want. It's about where the Lord wants you. And we have to remember that. The Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And then he'll bless you when he puts you there. Because that's what works best for the prophet of all. So we need to be serious about this. We need to be watchful. We need to say, Lord, how can we be used by you for you and your glory? And this is what Peter is trying to say here. Now we're going to take this and do the stepping stone next week, because in starting in chapter five, which is our last chapter here in First Peter, it starts talking about leadership being the example of this, and it's an ongoing battle there as you get into verse five on as you fight the enemy on these things. So any final questions, comments here about what we went over here tonight? Yeah, John. Yeah. Amen. And it's really neat because 1 Corinthians 12 is spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 is spiritual gifts. Right in the middle of those gifts is a whole chapter about love. Because we have a tendency to focus on the gift and the talent and the ability where God says it's all about love. That's right there in the middle of those two chapters. Anybody else have anything final things I want to say before we close up? Marcus. Mm -hmm. Right. If he calls you, he's going to give you the talent and the ability to do it, the strength to do it. And it's not even service. Sometimes he gives you the ability to love the unlovable. <laughs> Sometimes he gives you the ability to have faith in a storm. He'll give you that strength to get through that, no doubt about it. Anybody else have anything here before it goes up? Okay. Well, it's still 2.29, so we still got uh, four and a half hours. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now, and uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for you supplying to us what we need. Maybe, Lord, not necessarily what we want but you supply to us what we need. And Lord, as you call us to different areas, help us to serve you and love you in those areas in all ways and all things, we once again pray for the kids at camp, keep them safe, bring them back safe, grow them spiritually, and we pray for VBS, Lord. Raise up the helpers, raise up the leaders, and Lord, most importantly, prepare the kids' hearts to hear about them. Thank you, Lord, for the time to be here tonight. We lift this up in your name. Amen. So if we get a little bit of uh, help there in the back with the tables, we'd appreciate it. So you guys have a good week, and God bless.